This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. It was really weird not going to church last week. I kind of, as you all know, I'm kind of, I just go to church a lot. I work here and then it was Sunday and I didn't go to church. I'm like, what day is this? It was the night. I'm like, is this a holiday Monday? Is it a Friday? All that to say, just have a slight encouragement for you, for uh, all of you, especially at our parents, just an encouragement without condemnation that it's very important for you to bring your children to church. It is, it is a very Christian activity for those of us that are Christ followers that we take our kids to church and they learn about worshiping God and giving and serving and all of these wonderful things and we gather together in community and so many great things happen when we gather together and your children will follow what you do you know and you know maybe one day they won't wear the crown that you give them but if you uh, show them consistently to attend church when they are older they will attend church but if you're inconsistent if you're you know once in a while maybe we go maybe we don't who cares or not your kids will sort of have that attitude but if you show and display for them uh, an honor for gathering together with the saints they will reproduce that when they are older can i get it amen? amen like i said no condemnation it's just a pastoral thing you know pastors do this all right let's turn our bibles this morning to uh, acts chapter 9 we started a series a couple weeks ago and we're talking uh, the series is called intersection and what we're looking at is when divinity intersects with humanity what does god say and this is what the scripture is it's just a bunch of stories about people who god intersected with their lives and what we have great in in the stories of of the bible just all of the details about what god said and what happened and then what they accomplished after the fact and what's great about these stories once again they're not written in real time they're written after the fact so the people that experience the voice of god and experience following after the voice of god and the great things that happened because they followed the voice of god they can tell us the whole story about what went on and so we get to as we look at these stories it helps us to understand the voice of god in our lives what does god say when he shows up what does divinity say when he shows up in the middle of our humanity in the middle of our circumstances and what does he express to us now the first week we talked about gideon how gideon had a very specific set of circumstances and he uh was in a very bad situation and as we saw god showed up in his life and we said that god always calls out to our potential God calls who we should be or could be, not just where we are and what's going on in our life and just sort of reiterating that, but he's calling to our potential. And then we saw specifically with Gideon that God calls us out of fear. He doesn't want us to live in a place where we're constantly afraid, constantly in fear. He wants to move us from a place of fear. So if you missed that message, it's available on our website or on our podcast. And today we are going to be talking about the Apostle Paul specifically, a very uh, famous person in the New Testament, wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament in the forms of letters to churches. And, uh, but Paul didn't start out there. He started out actually in opposition to the church. So we're going to read a little bit this morning about uh, God showing up in Paul's life and what happened there. Now, as we look at these stories a little bit, what we're understanding um, as we see people and God intersecting with their life, that 
God commends people of the Old Testament as they walk by faith and just means putting your trust in God, not necessarily just believing that God is, but actually putting your trust in God specifically for your life. And that the, the scripture tells us that people were commended for that idea that they trusted the voice of God in their life. So as we look at these stories, we can see these things that are very important for us to understand. Now, as we think about intersection, we want to understand that God is other than us. That God transcends who we are, the circumstances that we're facing right now, you know, and he always shows up with his love. We were singing there quite a bit this morning about the goodness and love of God. That when God shows up in our lives, he's always showing up with goodness and he's showing up with love. Now, the circumstances that we face in this world, they're not always good. We're going to face difficulty because we live in a broken world. We live in a world infected and affected by sin. So the circumstances that we face aren't always good, but when God shows up in our life, he shows up with his goodness. He shows up with his love. And once again, that's beyond us. God is beyond us. He isn't us and we aren't him. And so when God shows up, he shows up in the middle of our circumstances. And just like he did for Gideon, he calls us to something else. And we will see the same uh, principle reiterated in this story, in the story we look at next week, that God who is beyond us shows up. He's intervening in the middle of our lives. He's intervening in the middle of our circumstances, and he wants to move us forward. Now, as we look at some of these stories, what's great, once again, is that we can see the actions and accomplishments of the people that God intersected in their lives. And then afterwards, they did something, and then they, they accomplished something. After God intersected with their lives, they just didn't become super religious ceremonial people. That their lives actually changed. The life that they lived wasn't all about ceremony and and religious observances. It was actually life-giving. That when we follow after the voice of God, God gives us life for our lives. He gives us directions for our every day. And this is one of the great things that we see when divinity intersects with humanity. And then also things that we can see to avoid, things to do, things to emulate. And the last thing I want to mention before we start looking at the Apostle Paul is that these stories are great because they're not propaganda. And what that means is they didn't, they're not puff pieces about these people. Uh, what we learn about these people, they're not superhuman. They're not different than us. They are actually people with struggles and difficulties and a bunch of them made um, some very terrible and heinous mistakes so we can identify with them. If we looked at their stories and we're like, they were perfect, they never did anything wrong, we'd be like, I'm out. What's great about these stories is we can see we have a little bit of their history, some of the mistakes they made, and then God showed up in the middle of their mistakes. God showed up in the middle of their struggle with his goodness and with his love once again, and then directs us to a different future. So as we look at the Apostle Paul this morning, the Apostle Paul didn't start out known as the Apostle Paul. His Jewish name was actually Saul. And when we understand about who Saul is, he was actually originally um, in the New Testament in opposition to the church. He was a part of the group that was persecuting the church. And then in Acts chapter 7, one of the early disciples, his name was Stephen, and he actually got stoned to death. And so all of the people that were stoning Stephen, throwing rocks at him till he died, they all had coats. And so to really get, you know, good extension with their throw of the rock, they wanted to take off their coats. And all of them laid their coats at Saul's feet so Saul could watch their coats so they could just go kill a Christian. This is who Saul started out to be. 
started out in a really bad place, in opposition to the church, in opposition to the way. That's what Christianity was called originally. It was the way, the way of Jesus. So we see Saul started out in a bad place, in this bad circumstance, with a bad frame of mind, persecuting the church, coming against Jesus. And we can see uh, Saul's story picks up here in Acts chapter 9. Verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for him, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is Saul's purpose in life right now. Coming against the church, kind of an angry guy. What is it? He's breathing out threats and murder. He's kind of got some issues going on. He's got some struggles. He's a really angry, mad guy. And then he goes to the religious leaders of his religion and he says, I want authority. I want letters so that I can find any men and women that are following after the way. I want to be able to arrest them. It's kind of an angry situation going on in Saul's life. And then it says in verse 3, Now as, as he went on his way, he approached, to, he approached Damascus. And this is called the Damascus Road experience where Saul started on his journey to becoming the Apostle Paul. It says, And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate or drank." He had this very dramatic vision of Jesus. And then it was so dramatic that for three days afterwards, he didn't eat or drink, couldn't really see. And it was just changed the whole direction of Saul's life. Saul was going in a very specific direction and God wanted him to go in another direction. And this is what intersection is all about when divinity intersects with humanity. So here, Paul, he, he's living a certain way and he's acting a certain way. And as we, we read there, he's breathing out threatenings and he wants to murder people. He wants to arrest people. So Saul is kind of an angry guy, just kind of got a lot of madness going on on the inside of him, a lot of fury, a lot of wrath. Now, when we think about anger, anger in and of itself is actually not a bad thing. It actually helps us to understand some things, and it helps us to do some good things in life. When we think about anger in the best sense of the word, it actually helps us to defend those that we love. If something or someone is coming against somebody that we love, that would make us angry, wouldn't it? Somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, and somebody is opposing them, that should make you angry. It should actually cause you to do something. And in the best sense of the word, once again, angry when you're, uh, for those of you who are parents in here, when your children misbehave or they act in a certain way that you know in the long run is not going to be good for them. That in the long run, if they maintain this attitude or if they maintain this way of living or if they maintain this way of talking, uh, they're not going to be good Canadian citizens. They won't be able to hold a job. Are you out there? Should make you mad. And then what should you do? You should deal with that thing. Now, you don't squash your child. You don't break their spirit. 
you don't crush them, but you want to deal with that thing that's in them. That thing should make you mad. It should, it should be a great indicator for us of certain things. But it is only that. We shouldn't be maintaining anger all of the time. Paul was living just a life of angry, angry all the time. That this group of people were offending him and they were offending his religious sensibilities. And he wanted to kill them. He wanted to arrest them. He was just breathing out threatenings all of the time. And what did God do? God showed up in the middle of all of that. And he shows up and he says, Jesus says in the vision, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, the first interesting point about that is that Saul didn't actually think he was persecuting Jesus. He actually was just persecuting Christ followers, other people. But we see in the story, Jesus was kind of taking that personally, wasn't he? So it's very important. Very, uh, we need to be very careful about criticizing other Christ followers because they are Jesus' servant. They aren't our servant. Are you out there? The Lord takes it personally. So he said, why are you, are you persecuting me? But the great thing... To, to see about this is that when God intersects in our lives, what a great thing is we see in the, in the scripture that he does show up a lot of times with instructions, things to do, things to avoid. But he shows up this time with a question. Why are you doing this, Saul? Why are you acting like this? What is going on in your life? I want you to think about this. And that's why he asked the question, why? I'm not just going to tell you something. But I actually want to think, want you to think about your actions. And this is what happens when God shows up in our lives a lot of times. He asks us questions because he wants us to think. And this is the big question for us today. Why am I doing what I'm, what I'm doing? Why am I acting like this? Why am I involved in the things I'm involved with? Because it could be for a thousand different reasons. It could be just... You know, happenstance. It could be just circumstances that came my way. And then so these circumstances forced this decision. So I made that decision. I didn't really care about the voice of God. I didn't really care about what God who transcends me is trying to lead me to do. And then sometimes maybe something super negative, super hurtful happens to me. And then when that thing happens to me, I'm going to make a decision based on that thing. And then I'm going to go a certain way. And then God shows up in the middle of all of that and says, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Saul wasn't really considering what he was doing. He was just angry. And this is the way life can turn us sometimes, that life can get you very angry. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been angry with life? The unfairness of it all. Has anyone ever felt that life is unfair? Come on. Let's be honest this morning. This, you know, we would say this stupid thing, it's just not fair. It's not fair for me to do this. But a lot of times we don't actually stop and slow down and think why I'm doing what I'm, I'm just acting. Something unfair happened to me. Something that shouldn't have happened to me happened to me. And then I'm just living from that place, whether it's anger or hurt or pain. And then I'm just going a direction. I'm going this way. But the stories of the scripture tell us that God wants to intersect our humanity, moving from a place of anger, going in a place of pain. God wants to intersect that. And he actually wants us to stop and slow down and ask ourselves, why am I like this? Why am I doing 
what I'm doing. The big issue for Saul, which we want to look at a little bit here, is just he was angry. Now, that anger can manifest once again in a bunch of different ways. But when we think about ourselves, if, if we are facing times when we're just, you know, there's just that low-grade anger just right under the surface. And it's just there. So if anyone ever bumps into us literally or figuratively, anger just comes pouring out. And then what we think is the problem is with the other person. Because they bumped into me or they did this thing and this thing happened, just anger starts pouring out of me. And in the middle of all that, God would say, why? Why am I just an angry person? Now, maybe for those of you in here who are, you know, just super docile, calm, you know, personality types, you're awesome, bless the Lord. But for those of us that are maybe a little bit more inclined to anger and frustration and maybe just more expressive passion, I don't know what you want to call it, anger can be right there. And it can be right there. Once again, if something happens to you that you don't like or somebody said something about you, that you don't like, or just a terrible circumstance came your way, man, anger can just be hovering under the surface. And God wants to address anger in our lives. He wants us to be aware so that we just don't live an angry existence. God wants to intersect our humanity and send us in a different direction. James chapter 1, verse 20 says this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What does that verse say, the first verse we read there? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And I would say, as I've said before, I, I'm, I've learned this idea and I'm learning it. That human anger doesn't actually produce the righteousness that God desires. Me just being mad about something or at a person or at a circumstance or at the unfairness of it all doesn't actually produce the thing that God wants in my life. Me just being angry in and of myself. Just the natural reaction to stuff doesn't actually produce the righteousness of God. Something that would transcend me. Something that would go beyond me just being uh, yielded to my feelings of anger all of the time. And see, and sometimes we can delineate it exactly. We can explain exactly why we're angry. And generally speaking, it has to do with other people. We're very angry at other people because of this and they said this and they did this or they didn't do this. And then this thing went on and I was super struggling with this because of this person and I'm just sort of angry all of the time. But God has an antidote for anger for us from the scripture. Let's read a few verses that will help us not to live an angry existence. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 says this, whoever is patient has great understanding the one who is quick-tempered displays folly, or that just means foolishness. Quick-tempered. 
So how do we, what's the antidote of being quick-tempered? We need to be patient and have great understanding. We need to learn to be patient with people. Not just reacting all of the time. Not just something hits me, anger comes out. And when I say hits me, I'm talking figuratively. Just something comes my way. And then I'm just angry. What do we have to do? Whoever is patient and has great understanding. But the one who's quick-tempered. It's just a foolish way to live, to be quick-tempered, to live from a place of anger. So we have to learn to be patient with people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So what do we got to do? We got to be slow to anger. We got to slow down. We got to be aware. God's asking us the question, why are you like this? Oh, because maybe I'm just quick-tempered. Well, hey, what do we got to do? We got to slow down. And then it says we have to rule our spirit. We got to rule ourselves. See, a lot of times the issue with anger is we just think the issue is with everybody else. That what that person did is producing anger in me. No, you're angry already. And they just made the mistake of like crossing you just a little bit and then anger came pouring out. It actually had nothing to do with their actions. It had all to do with what was on the inside of you, that you were not ruling your spirit. That anger possessed you, for lack of a better word. It was just the first response all of the time. But hey, what are we going to do? We're going to rule our spirit. We're going to be aware because God is asking us, why? Why are you like this? So what are we going to do? We're going to rule our We're not going to rule everybody else's spirit. We can't do that. Have you tried? Have you tried to rule everybody else? If you would just say this, if you just do this, if you just stop talking, if you would stop wearing that, and if you would stop doing this, and if you would stop voting that way... <laughs> my life would be great. No, all you can do is rule your own spirit. Contain your own self. This is what God wants us to do as an antidote to anger. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This verse is talking about forgiveness. Learning to have forgiveness as our first response and not anger. That I'm going to overlook an offense. And, you know, in simplest terms, the scripture talks about that we overlook offenses because God overlooks ours. We celebrated communion this morning. A big part of celebrating communion is remembering that God forgives us of our sins. And because God has forgiven us of our sins, we're supposed to offer forgiveness to others. The scripture is telling us if we don't, we're just going to live angry. And I know this from personal experience. If you don't learn to let stuff go, you just live in just that low grade. It's just like the baseline of your life is anger. Just learning to overlook an offense. Because I don't want to live an angry existence. I don't want to give power to somebody that disregarded me in the first place, didn't actually care about me, did something to me that I didn't like, and then I'm giving them power years down the road because I'm acting in anger based on what they did to me. Scripture says, 
you need to overlook that offense. In other words, quit looking at it. And this is, I know from experience, you have to stop telling the story. You know that story that you like to tell? How wrong they were? I could write a book with details, quotes. But you got to get tired of telling that story. You got to get tired of saying how wrong they were. Yeah, I'm acknowledging they were wrong. That's why you need to overlook it. So you don't get stuck there and you don't get stuck in anger. Proverbs chapter, are you enjoying these verses? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 15. A hot tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. What, what stirs up strife? The temper in you. No, 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 it's them. No, 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 it's you. Stir, just stirring up strife. And then what's the opposite of that? But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. See, you can be hot-tempered and you can win an argument but lose out in the relationship. You can browbeat somebody with your words, prove why they're wrong and how they made all these things and blah, 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 and this, and here's the evidence. And five years ago, you did this, remember? And you can win the argument and lose in the relationship. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be slow to anger. That quiets contention. We don't want to live a contentious life. Psalm 37, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. An angry life is an evil life. An angry life takes us down a road that we don't want to go down, but God intersects us on an angry road. And he asks us why. And the implication is to stop. There's another road to walk down. There is a divinely inspired road that is not a life of anger. It's, it's a free road to walk down. Separate from all of that stuff that happened to you. That we're not going to let those things define us. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, he actually starts to comment on some of these things about who he was. It's found here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So he's talking about his past and who he was. And he says this in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now we know who Paul was. And now we know why Paul is writing this. That God counted me trustworthy. Man, I used to be the guy killing Christians. I used to be the guy coming against the church. Verse 13, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in, in, in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out upon me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says about his angry existence that God poured out his grace upon me. He didn't want me to stay there. He poured out his love and his grace upon me. And then it says his immense patience. And we already read that patience is an antidote for anger. So this is how God overcomes anger in us. He's patient with us. And if we are living an angry existence, God has been patient with us and continues to be patient with us. And he's pouring out his love and grace upon you so that you don't have to live an angry existence defined by the things that happen to you that just make you mad. His immense patience, such a great definer of God's character. As we see the end of the story in Acts chapter 9, there was a, a man in that same area, his name is Ananias, and then he also had a vision, and he had a vision to go talk to Saul. And Ananias is like reminding God, is like, you know, God, you, this is the guy that's killing Christians. You don't want me to go talk to him. This doesn't seem like a good idea. And God reveals to Ananias the purpose for which he intersected with Saul's life on the road to Damascus, this angry guy. Let's read about it here in verse 13. It says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What did God say about Saul who became the Apostle Paul who wrote, wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament? A really angry guy who's messing up his life with anger? He is a chosen instrument of mine. Remember what we talked about, Gideon, that God always calls to our potential. God doesn't want us to remain in this place of anger and frustration. And this, what he says about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, is it true about all of you this morning? That you are a chosen instrument of God. He has stuff for you to do and accomplish. And this is why God intersects with our lives. In 2018, God has things for you to do. God has the kingdom of God that he wants to flow through you into your homes, into your workplaces, into your communities. You are a chosen instrument for God. He wants to move us past a road of anger and frustration and disappointment. And he asks us why. Why are you like this? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because I have something better for you to do 
Let's just pray this morning. God, we are so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you intersect with our lives, with your love and with your grace and with your mercy and your patience. That when you show up in the middle of our lives, you say that you love us. There's nothing we can do, God, to diminish that love. That your love is always constant. That your love is based on your character and not my actions. And your love is infinite. Your word says that you are love. So God, regardless of all of the mistakes that we have made, regardless of the road that we've been on, that's the wrong road this morning, God, we receive your love afresh and anew in our lives. We receive your grace. We're so thankful, Lord, for your patience. Because Lord, you say about all of us that we are a chosen instrument for you. And God, we pray that you help us to be that instrument. The ways that you want to use us to be a blessing to others, the way that you want to help us so that we can help others. God, we pray that you're leading and guiding us every day for your purposes. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.